All right, some of you wanted me to dance during that, I know, uh, but I chose not to. So, uh, but I am trying to learn the floss a little bit, but uh, that's for another day. But uh, hello, Christ community. Glad that you guys are here. Greetings to our West Campus and our Traditions venue and our friends in LaSalle, as well as some friends in Yokosuka, Yokosuka, Yokosuka there I have it, Yokosuka, Japan. I just had a conversation. Say what? And awesome, they're here. Yes. Okay. <laughs> So these guys, I just found out last week that there's a group of people in Yokosuka, Japan, that watch online because they haven't found a church in the area that um, um, just kind of resonates with them or whatever. And so I'm just thrilled uh, about that, to hear about that. So uh, that's awesome. So I practice this. So kon konnichiwa. There we go. Uh, to those of you in Japan, glad that you are joining us. Okay, so have you ever felt, let me just ask, have you ever felt this disconnect between your everyday real world life and your spiritual life, right? So we have our, you know, prayer time and maybe church time and e-group stuff, but then we also have these areas in our lives that we're kind of embarrassed to admit that we struggle with that are there, you know, right? The anger we feel toward God or the worrying that keeps us up at night or the depression that hangs over us like a black cloud or the stress that we know is taking a toll on us physically. And these worlds, they seem so disconnected, right? The spiritual life and then all this other stuff, they seem so disconnected. What would it look like to actually bring these two worlds closer together? Where we experience God, not just in church and in prayer, we experience God in the muddy messes that we find ourselves in. We experience God in the ups and downs of everyday life. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, there's an, there's an entire section of the Bible that shows us how we can bridge these two worlds. It's known as the Psalms. The Psalms are a collection of songs and poems. They have been used in worship gatherings and personal devotions for centuries. Now, in hearing that, you might initially think, oh, the Psalms are going to be this pristine, pious grouping of spiritual songs. But they're not, right? The Psalms are these very raw, and real cries from the heart, often from places of struggle. In the Psalms, we see people struggling with fear and anger, depression and loneliness, the perceived absence of God. The Psalms give us this window into the heart, showing us how we experience God in the everyday stuff of life. So each week this summer, we're going to be diving in to a particular psalm, a psalm in which the writer is experiencing or describing some challenge, some emotion, some difficulty, and we're going to look together at how they experience God in the midst of that and how we can as well. Well, today, I want us to begin with Psalm 1, which in many respects is the doorway into the Psalms. It's kind of the foundation for the rest of this amazing playlist from God, right? But it is actually more than that. Psalm 1 is foundational because it addresses a universal desire in every person's heart, and that is the desire for happiness, to be happy, 
We just played a portion of the song Happy by Pharrell Williams, which a few years ago was the number one song in 19 different countries. If you pull up the YouTube video, which I did last week, you'll see that there were over a billion views. A billion views of that on YouTube, which is amazing. I mean, that song connects with humanity in a significant way. And I think it's more than just the tune itself. It's what the song represents, this universal longing for happiness. I mean, if you ask anyone what they truly want in life, most people will probably say, I want to be happy, right? It's to experience happiness. But the problem is that happiness is an elusive thing. A recent Gallup poll revealed that the majority of people in America are unhappy with their lives. I, you know, ironically, our nation was founded on this concept of have everyone having the right to pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? And yet so many of us find ourselves unhappy. As we're going to see in a few minutes, the reason for that is that when you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. When you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. Happiness is found in pursuing something else Entirely, It's kind of a byproduct. So what is that something else? Well, that's what we're going to find out in Psalm 1. When we feel unhappy, Psalm 1 is a great place to spend some time because it shows us how we can experience greater levels of happiness. Now, I know that that word happy, for some of you, it rubs you the wrong way. Um, and I totally get that. I totally get that because I was just like you. I was. I have preached, I have preached many sermons over the years where I, I, you know, declared that happiness is different than joy. You know, and happiness is dependent on circumstances, but joy is deeper than that. You know, and so I kind of had this, this is good and happiness, you know, don't pursue. But I've actually changed my mind on this. I recently changed my mind on the word happy. And the primary reason I changed my mind was because of Psalm 1. Because of how this psalm begins. So look with me at Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed are those who. Now this word blessed in the Hebrew language means to be happy. It means to be joyful. It means to be satisfied. It is describing a state of bliss. The word itself right here, it's actually in a plural form, which is a Hebrew way of adding emphasis. So the author here is describing not just happiness, but abundant happiness, a fullness of joy. The Bible unashamedly declares that we can experience happiness. It is not unattainable. It is well within our reach, but it does require two critically important elements, which this psalm so powerfully describes. First of all, we see in Psalm 1 that our happiness is dependent upon what we decline. It's dependent upon what we say no to. Okay, so look with me at verse 1. Blessed or happy are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now notice how this psalm begins. <clears throat> happy are those who do not do certain things. Our world tells us that happiness is found in saying yes to everything. But that's not the case. See, when you say yes to everything, you actually miss out on happiness. 
So there are three things that God urges us to say no to in order to experience greater happiness. And each of these increases in intensity, which we'll see. First is bad influences. Bad influences. The psalmist says, blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked. Now, I don't really like how the NIV translates this particular phrase because the word wicked sounds like he's talking about sinister people who are planning to do all these evil things or whatever. But actually the word, the the word wicked here that's translated wicked, it, it refers to people who are not in relationship with God. They are ungodly. In that, in that their values, their perspectives are not in line with God's truth. So, so these are not evil, sinister, wicked people. These are just people who don't know God. Now the phrase walk in step with literally means to listen to their counsel. See, what the psalmist is describing is a lifestyle in which we listen to sinful counsel from ungodly people. We allow ourselves to be influenced by, the val- by values and beliefs and ideas that don't reflect God's heart or his holiness. In the book of Romans, in the New Testament, the book of Romans, chapter 12, we're told in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This, wor- this world, according to Paul, has a pattern right? It has a set of values and ideas that it regularly embraces and it subtly or not so subtly pushes upon us. So before we know it, we are being influenced by these values of the world. For instance, I could pick any number of areas, but I think one of the huge areas is the area of sexuality. We are bombarded with television, movies, social media, websites that are regularly communicating ideas about sexuality that are not godly, that do not reflect the heart and the purposes of God. God created sex. He created us as sexual beings, and he has given us parameters. He has given us guidelines for our good. As it relates to sexuality, these guidelines are for our good. But our world has a very different set of guidelines. They, 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 they offer very different messages than what God tells us about sex. For instance, God says sex is an amazingly beautiful and powerful expression of love and commitment. And as such, it is to be reserved exclusively for marriage. Can you think of any sitcom, there's probably one or two, but can you think of any sitcom or television drama or movie where anyone is waiting for marriage to have sex? See, our our world has a very different message. Sex, according to our world, is recreational. It doesn't matter who you do it with or when you do it, no commitment. It's really just about you feeling good. Here's another message from the world around us. Looking at pornography is just a harmless, enjoyable pastime that doesn't hurt anyone. This is the prevailing view of our day. We probably hear it from friends, right, or podcasts we listen to, or music videos we watch. And very soon, these things influence our thinking so that these ideas, they start to make sense to us. Yeah, that sounds right. They start to influence us, and they will rob us of happiness. We're going to see that a little later. They rob us of of happiness. So here's a key question. 
Who are you listening to? Whose ideas and input are influencing you and shaping your thinking about sexuality or about life or about relationships? If it's ungodly people, again, I'm not saying that judgmentally, I'm just the reality. If it's people who don't love God, they don't know God, Right, and they're not living according to the truth of His Word. If it's a group of that people, or or people like that, or if it's even Christian people who are so caught up in the world that they're just mimicking everyone else, if you're listening to those voices, you're headed down a path away from genuine happiness. Okay, second thing we must decline if we want to experience happiness, and that is bad choices. Bad choices. Look at the next phrase. Verse 1, blessed are those who do not stand in the way that sinners take. Now, to stand in the way of, that does not mean to take a stand against. No, no, no. This is describing someone who, after their thinking has been influenced by ungodly people, they are now choosing to participate in unhealthy, sinful behavior. This word way refers to a course of life. It refers to choices that we make. And notice this is the natural progression of how sin works. It always starts with our thinking being influenced, right? We start believing lies that certain behaviors are okay because everyone else is saying that it's okay or everyone else is doing it, right? So we start to believe those lies. Well, once our thinking gets influenced, the next step is obvious. We start doing. We start doing these things. When an opportunity arises, we give in. We choose to do something that is not honoring to God or it's not in alignment with his way. And so suddenly, using the language of the psalmist, we're now standing in it. We're now standing in this. We are participating in this behavior. Our thinking has turned to action. So, for instance, back to the sexuality thing, if we repeatedly fill our mind with websites and television shows and movies and videos that freely encourage sex outside of marriage, guess what's going to be a natural choice when we start dating someone? I, I know of Christian people, a number of um, some friends, a number of Christian people who struggle with same-sex attraction. And it is not a sin to have those feelings. It is not a sin to be tempted in that way. But if this is your struggle. If this is a struggle, and if in this struggle you fill your mind with books and shows and teachings of people who encourage you to embrace homosexual or lesbian behavior as your identity, guess what choices you will tend to make when you find yourself in tempting situations? See, this is how life works in any area, not just sexuality. I was just trying to give some examples. Who we listen to and let influence our thinking eventually impacts our behavior, which leads to a third thing we must decline if we want to experience greater happiness, and that is bad company. Bad company. Verse 1, blessed are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way the sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. See, notice the progression from walking along, i.e. being influenced by to standing in, i.e. participating in, and now this person is actually seated with mockers. They are now a part of the group. They are a part of this community, this gang, this, this group of friends who mock God, who make fun of holiness and purity and all of that. I mean, this is becoming increasingly prevalent in our day and age. 
If someone takes a stand for something, you know, moral or whatever, people mock it. They make fun of it. They make fun of a biblical perspective on sexuality or of marriage or morality. And some, some of you, some of you here are allowing yourself to be pulled into a group like this. And in fact, maybe you're working really hard at fitting in to that group because you want to be a part of that group. But I'm telling you, it will destroy you. It will destroy you. Here's how. Negativity, cynicism, mocking, these things are like cancer. And they spread into our soul, right? And so inwardly we think, oh, I don't really believe that stuff, but I'm, you're kind of a part of the group. But what happens is over time, they settle into our soul. And all of a sudden, you don't feel like going to church anymore or reading your Bible or praying. You start to remove yourself from Christian friends or from youth group or from beliefs that you once held. Those things now seem so uncool. They just seem so ridiculous. Again, notice the progression from thinking to behaving to mocking. And the further we are on this pathway, the more happiness will elude us. In fact, later in this psalm, the psalmist uses very vivid language, very vivid imagery, I should say, to describe this way of life. Look at verse 4. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will be destroyed. See, what a vivid picture of what happens when we allow ourselves to be on this path that he's describing. We become like chaff which is just the, you know, the extra part of it. It just gets blown in the wind. It, it's just, we, we end up in this dry, dusty, vacuous, empty, unsatisfying place. It's a pathway that ends in destruction. That's what sin does. It destroys our lives. It robs us of happiness, right? Back, back to our previous example. See, this, this chaff thing just resonates here. When, when, when we believe the lie that porn is harmless, we start to give in to it more, right? And the more we give in, the more control it asserts in our life. We can't stop looking. And it causes us, after a little while, it causes us to view the people around us as objects, the people at work, people, you know, they, we just view them differently. We view them as objects. It causes us to have unrealistic expectations in our marriage, right? We become dissatisfied, we become discontent. It causes us to withdraw from healthy relationships. We become more isolated. It causes us to feel depressed and ashamed. It causes us to not want to spend time with God. It causes us to no longer enjoy the simple things of life. In other words, it brings destruction into our lives. It robs us of genuine happiness. Again, that's just one example, but it's a very prevalent one. It is everywhere. It is everywhere. I just read that three out of the top seven websites that are most used, three of the top seven are porn sites. Our local library offers over 250 erotic fiction books. This is our library. This is our world. When we follow along with these influences, choosing to just go along with what the world says is okay, because everyone seems to be doing it, seems to be okay, it's accessible, I might as well look, you know, all that stuff. When we just go along with that, we actually end up headed in the opposite direction from genuine happiness. We end up like chaff. 
just blown here and there. So, so first we learn that, that, our, that our happiness is actually dependent upon what we decline. The secondly, the psalm shows us that our happiness is dependent upon what we delight in. It's dependent upon what we delight in. So look with me at verses 1 and 2. Blessed or happy are those who do not walk in step with the wicked or ungodly or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. So in, in contrast to this path of ungodly influence and activities and company, the psalmist describes here a very different response. The psalmist says, happy is the person who delights in God's word. Happy is the person who delights in God's word. Now, this word delight is so powerful because it is focused not on the head, but on the heart. And this just impacts behavior in so many ways. When we try to, you know, just uh, when, we, when we lose sight of the heart and change the behavior, we, we, miss the, 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 we miss our objective. That's why this word is so powerful. See, to delight in, he doesn't just say, I'll just do this, just think more about the word. No, he says delight. See, to delight in something is to find value and pleasure in that thing. It's a heart thing. We find value and pleasure in that. <clears throat> See, delighting is something that happens in our heart, and it's the key to our experience in happiness. So let me illustrate. If you delight in money, right? If, if money brings you great pleasure, and it is your delight, it is the delight of your heart, what will you feel when you lose your wallet and there were a hundred bucks in there? Or what will you feel when the stock market declines 30%? Will you be happy? No. If you take delight in your brand new car, and you're washing all the time, it's pristine, and you think about and love how awesome it looks. If that's what you delight in, what will you feel when you notice that someone opened their car door into yours and left this huge dent? Will you be happy? What if you delight in the approval of people? You delight in people saying nice things about you, and you, know, you delight in the approval of people. What will you feel when someone criticizes something you've done? See, what we delight in influences our experience of happiness in huge ways, which is why the psalmist explains to us what we must delight in if we want to experience genuine happiness. Again, verse 2, blessed are those who delight in the law of the Lord. Now, this word for law is, is the, the Hebrew word Torah. And it, it can refer to the first five books of the Bible, the Torah, the law, but it also can refer more broadly to God's word. See, in contrast to the influence of the ungodly, as mentioned in verse one, the psalmist urges us to delight in God's counsel, to delight in God's wisdom as found in his word. So the question is, why is the psalmist delighting in God's word? I mean, why is the psalmist delighting in God's word? Well, think about what God's word reveals to us. For one thing, God's word reveals to us what God is like. It reveals to us what God is like. I mean, think about this. We have, I mean, we can look at creation and we can discern, you know, a few attributes about God, how 
creative he is, how intelligent he is, right, and powerful just by looking at the wonder of creation. So we can learn some things about God's power and intelligence. But we, just by looking at creation, if we didn't have the word of God, we wouldn't know about his love. We wouldn't know about his holiness. We wouldn't know about his mercy, his willingness to forgive our sin, his sacrifice on the cross for us. We wouldn't know any of that about him. See, we we discover who God is in the Bible. We discover who he is. No wonder the psalmist urges us to delight in God's word. See, by by delighting in the word, we are fixing our hearts on the God of the word. We, We are setting our affection on knowing him better. And the word reveals to us what he's like. See, again, if if our delight is in trying to find happiness, we won't be happy. If we place our delight in trying to be happy, we won't be happy. Happiness will elude us. But if our delight is in God, discovering more and more who he is, we will experience happiness. A happiness that supersedes our circumstances. I mean, that ding in our car door suddenly looks different because our delight is not in that. Our delight is in God. God is infinitely better than we can imagine. Infinitely better than we can imagine. And he does not change. Unlike our car, money, all those things. are God does not change. To, to delight in God, to delight in God is to swim in an ocean of glory. Never being able to, to reach the depths of who he is. So God's word helps us discover who God is. But it does more than that. God's word helps us discover his ways. God's word helps us discover his ways. Again, we wouldn't know this apart from his word. What he values, how he wants us to live our lives. The Bible shows us how to walk with God. It shows us how to live our lives in alignment with his. For for instance, the word of God in numerous places, the word of God tells us to forgive people who hurt us. Forgive people who hurt us and to not harbor bitterness toward anyone. That feels totally unnatural, right? It just does. On our own, we would not come to that conclusion. Why should I forgive someone who just hurt me? Well, the Bible says if we don't, bitterness will eat us alive from within. It will destroy us from within. And every one of us here has seen that happen to people around us, or we've experienced ourselves. We know what bitterness does to people and relationships. But we need the truth of God's word to keep us from destroying ourselves. Otherwise, we wouldn't be thinking about forgiving people. We need the truth of his word to show us his ways. The, the, the word of God tells us to fill our mind with that which is pure and good, not with that which produces lust and coveting. It says that lust will bring us into bondage. See, that's why God's command, that, that's why God commands us to avoid lust and these things. It's why he commands us to avoid it. He, he does so for our good. He is not a spoil sport. Oh, that would be really fun, so don't do that. Oh, you'd really enjoy that? I don't want you to do that. I mean, that's not what God is like. He's not saying no to spoil our fun. His commands, his ways of living are for our good. I mean, that's the whole point of this psalm 
If you and I delight in and follow the ways of the world, our lives will be like chaff. But if we delight in God's word, if we let it influence our choices and our behaviors, then there is a much different result. In fact, look at the result, the total opposite of chaff. This is one of the most powerful images in the entire Bible. In fact, read this out loud with me. I love this verse. Read this out loud with me. They are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Oh, I love this image. I mean, can you see it in your mind? A tree that is planted by a continual stream of water, which means it gets its nourishment year-round. It gets its nourishment year-round. So during fruit-bearing season, it bears fruit. And when it's not fruit-bearing season, the psalm says its leaves don't wither. Notice, according to this psalm, happiness is not dependent upon our circumstances. It's, it's available in any season. It's available when everything feels like spring. And it's available in the middle of winter. In season and out of season. Why? Because it is rooted in this stream of water. See, it is rooted in this other source, not from ourselves. And this source... What's the stream of water representing? Oh, we know from the New Testament, it is this, it's the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John 7 that the Spirit in us is like a stream of living water. If anyone is thirsty, Jesus says, come to me and drink. See, the water, this water is always available. It is always available. And again, notice, it is not the water of happiness. It is the river of God. It's not the water of happiness. It is the river of God. When we seek happiness, it will elude us. But when our roots go down deep into God, we can experience happiness no matter what is happening around us. We can have a deep abiding joy in God. Because you know what? God is happy. Do you ever think about that? <laughs> God is happy. Joy is a characteristic of who God is. He is the happiest being in the universe and beyond. So it is no wonder that, that when we delight in him and his ways, we get happy as well. So how do we tap in to this stream of living water? How, how do we establish this root system so that our roots go down deep into this water of life. We're just being nourished, you know, and we're bearing fruit and having leaves not withering. How does that happen? Well, the psalmist tells us there's a key here. There's a particular action that we need to learn and we need to practice. There's a particular action that enables this to happen. This one thing enables our roots to go deep into this water. Look again in verse 2. But who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law day and night. There's the key. It's to meditate. Now, what is that? What does that mean? 
sounds like Eastern mysticism. Or the, no, 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 it's not, it's not. The word, the word meditate here, it means to ponder. It means to think about. It means to reflect upon. It means to chew on. So we have four kids. My youngest, Joshua, a full bowl of ice cream takes him about five seconds to finish. Um, it is, it's brutal. I mean, it's huge bites and it's just gone. And then my oldest, my daughter, she, she savors. And so she has a spoonful and it'll take her like three times into the mouth with the same spoonful. She's just savoring the ice cream. Which one is meditation? <laughs> it's my daughter, right? That's meditation. It is not about speed reading. Meditation is to slow down and to chew on a small portion of God's word, just to mull it over, to, to allow it to sink in, to emphasize different words, just to let it just kind of influence and shape our thinking and our perspective. That's what, that's what meditation is. And some of you are thinking, oh, this is too hard. I can't meditate. It sounds too biblical. It sounds too spirit. You know, I, it's not like that. I can't meditate, blah, blah, blah. Hey, folks, here's the reality. We meditate all the time. Every one of us here meditates all the time. We think about our next hunting trip. We think about the house we're going to purchase. We think about issues going on at work. In fact, let me just say this. If you are good at worrying, you can be great at meditating. If you're good at worrying, you can be great at meditating because worrying is just meditating on what ifs. That's all worry is. We're just meditating on what ifs. When we worry, we are chewing on and thinking about a particular situation and what if and different alternatives and all that. We're meditating. We're meditating. The problem is what we're meditating on actually robs us of happiness. It does. Notice the psalm says, the psalmist says, on his law, they meditate day and night. I love that, day and night. You know, when, when, when you can't sleep from worry, here's the antidote. Meditate on God's word. Take a verse of scripture and begin to chew on it and mull it over and let it speak to you rather than all these circumstances and whatever and whatever, you just get it all worked up. See, happiness is found as we learn to meditate on God's word. Letting the spirit speak to us. And this is so cool. This would be a whole sermon itself, but let the spirit speak to you about who God is. It's letting the spirit speak to us about who we are in him. It's letting the spirit speak to us about how he wants us to live. All of those things are life-changing. They are life-changing if we set our mind on them. If we choose to, and I'm just talking about, oh, I read the Bible through in a year or whatever. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm all about reading and all that. But if, if the goal is just speed reading, we're missing this. We would have, you know, we're missing this, the power of this. It's choosing to think about and ponder and chew on and mull over and embrace God's word and what he's saying to us in his word. The choice here is clear. Do you want your life to be like chaff? Then follow the ways of the world. But if, if you want happiness, 
If you want to be like a tree planted by streams of water, rooted in and nourished by God, no matter what's happening around you, then choose to delight in God's word, taking time to meditate on his word, discovering more and more about who he is and who you are in him and how he wants you to live. That'll bring happiness. So so we're going to practice meditation right now. We're going to do it together. Okay. We're going to experience this together. I don't want us just to get information. We're going to actually practice this. I want us to learn how we can do this. Every one of us here can do this and you can experience how powerful it is. So you can do this with any scripture, but we're going to use a portion of Psalm one that we've been looking at. Okay. So we're going to put the, the Psalm one up on the screen here, and I'm going to lead you in a simple process of meditation. So, I think we're going to have Psalm 1 on the screen here. Yes, there we go. Okay, so what I want you to do first is take a deep breath here. We're just going to, we want the Lord to speak to us. So what I want you to do first is I want you to read the psalm twice, silently and slowly. I want you to read it two times. And as you do that, silently and slowly, here's what I want you to do. I want you just to pay attention to any words or phrases that just kind of stand out to you. Okay? All right, let's do that. Read it through twice, silently, slowly. Pay attention to any words or phrases that stand out to you. Okay, now what I'd like you to do, I want you to take just one of the words or phrases that sort of stood out to you, and I want you to think about that particular phrase for a minute. Just chew on it. Just think about it.
Okay, now as you're chewing on that, you're thinking about, here's what I want you to do next. I just want you to ask Jesus, what do you want to say to me in this phrase? Well, what are you saying to me in this phrase? Now, in the, in the quiet of your heart, I want you just to pray about whatever is being stirred in you, whatever you feel like God's saying to you, just pray about that. Just ask for his help or whatever, put that into words of a prayer, just in the silence of your heart, just pray into that. Okay, so you can look up here again. See, that's meditation. That's just one, I mean, that's just one way to do it. But the idea is we just took two or three minutes and we slowed down and we just began to chew on a small portion and then let Jesus speak to us from his word about a particular aspect of our lives, who he is or whatever, and, and just then praying into that. Um, it's so powerful. Medita that's why meditation is so powerful. It's so life-changing. It's not about a Bible quiz where you can answer all the right answers. It's about God speaking to us in his word. And again, the imagery is our roots go down deep and deeper and deeper because it's not just, oh, I can memorize that verse. I'm not, nothing wrong with memorizing verses, but it's, it's meditation takes the information and it, it goes deeper it takes it deeper into our lives. Because so often, we're not thinking about, we're not thinking about who God is, we're not thinking about who we are in Him, we're not thinking about how He wants us to live. We're often thinking about our inadequacies, our failures, we're thinking about our stresses, we're thinking about our circumstances. That's what we're meditating on. And it's impacting us in huge ways. It's robbing us of happiness. Happy are those, happy are those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. So um, we're going to uh, do some um, worship here just in response to the, to the, the Lord and, and all of that. I want to mention another response that we put together a card for this entire series. And it's basically a tool that you can use. It can, it's kind of what we just did. If you're interested, and I'd like to try that again, these cards are going to be available. You can pick them up at the end of the service. Um, and on one side, it has the Psalms that we're going to be looking at in the series. And the other side, it has just these kind of this process we just went through. So you can take that card with you if you want and use this on any passage or on the Psalm that we happen to be going through that particular week. So we encourage you to, to utilize that if you'd like. So why don't, why don't we stand? Um, if you want to sit down at some point, that's totally cool. But let me pray for us just to respond to God 
in worship. God, thank you for your word. And we pray that you would help us, even in this time of worship, to meditate on who you are and to be impacted by that. So set us free to worship you and to focus on who you are. Thank you, Lord.